What's up, skeptics? Welcome to another episode of Reason to Doubt, your source for all things skeptical. I am Jordan, joined with Jared. It is me, Jared. I am I. <laughs> it's been a while since. Well, I guess actually you were back last week for the uh, for the interview. Yeah, but, it's been a busy summer. You know, I got kids doing stuff, traveling. So, but. well, while you were away, I don't know if you heard the news. Being gay, it's bad. Actually, that is a breaking news to me. I did not know that. Um, yeah. Uh, we get that message from Frederick Clement of By the Book Ministries, and he is super upset about gay pastors existing and having the wrong people read books to kids. That's something he's extremely concerned about, and it's actually an existential threat to Christianity as we know it. We don't want kids learning that being gay is normal. Right. We don't want to, to, to learn that being gay is normal or that uh, drag queens are people too. This is the kind of thing we can't be exposing our kids to. No. Now, we go out of our way on this channel to point out that not every religious person is a hateful bigot and not every church is harmful. You know, there are perfectly legitimate, constructive ways to exercise religion that don't harm anybody else. This is not that. This channel is definitely not that kind of Christianity. And so we wanted to put a spotlight on it because this is an example of the very real harm that religious faith can do when it's weaponized against people, particularly against more marginalized groups. Yeah. And maybe not this particular video is doing harm, but you can clearly draw a line from what kind of rhetoric is being used to action and what might fuel somebody's action, right? So, For sure. I mean, just go to the comments section of any of these videos and you'll see plenty. <laughs> I, I, I ventured down there on accident. and That was I a mistake. Right back up. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So let's dive right in. What's going on, guys? So it's Pride Month. One of the things that bothers me the most about Pride Month is this idea, this, this notion that LGBTQ are spreading love. They're tolerant and this is all about acceptance first of all they don't even understand love what is their actual understanding and definition of love because the love that they're spreading is a distorted love wait they don't understand love so they don't understand love i mean i guess not i mean <laughs> uh, what is I, your I, definition of love bro <laughs> Well, uh, don't worry. He's about to tell us. It's not the love of scripture. It's not natural love. And they're not tolerant. They're actually very intolerant. And they're not accepting. They're not accepting of opposite or other belief systems that may oppose their belief systems. How, how rude of them to not tolerate someone saying that they shouldn't exist, right? Yeah. Like they should be accepting of the worldview that says that they shouldn't exist as human beings and have basic human rights. How intolerant of them, Jared. Yeah, I mean, and the fact that they don't have natural love. What is natural love, first of all? Like, well, uh, this is going to be a theme, I'm sure, uh, because many of these culture war Christians want to say that being gay or being trans or whatever is unnatural. Mm -hmm. What they mean when they say unnatural is it makes me, them, feel icky. That's what they mean. They definitely don't mean it doesn't exist in nature because I don't know if you knew this, but nature's hella gay. <laughs> Just ask the dolphins. Yeah, well, you remember those gay penguins that are like. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that <laughs> oh, wasn't that on Parks and Rec, though? No, no, no. This is a real thing that actually happened. There was a pair of gay penguins that uh, mated. And they were jealous of the other penguins who had <laughs> eggs. And so they got a rock that was vaguely egg-shaped and were like, 
nesting, nesting on it, it and yeah. like nothing was happening. Anyway, not doesn't matter. But the important thing is that being gay, like homosexual, sorry, not being gay as in like the the sexual orientation, sure, but homosexual behavior is just rife throughout the animal kingdom. And that doesn't mean it's morally right. Doesn't mean it's morally wrong. What it does mean is it's natural. And so if your objection is going to be their love is unnatural, well, nature has a thing to say about that. But when you define nature as that which conforms to the thing that it says in the Bible, well... Well, that's not nature. That's the Bible. (laughs) If that's what you mean, then say that. Yeah. I'll be curious what... um, We both watched this video once. We're going through it again. But I'd be curious to see what biblical uh, support he pulls up for this, because there are there's only several a handful of verses that deal with homosexuality or supposedly deal with homosexuality in the in the scriptures. So. Worst thing about Pride Month is the flood of propaganda that we're going to be inundated with. Now we're seeing information about pastors who are now openly gay, and that's an oxymoron. Can be gay and a pastor. I mean, you literally can though. Like, like <laughs> yeah, th- that guy that he's talking about is gay, and and he's a pastor. You know, okay. It well, can't, he's, can't be he's, he's not a real pastor. Right. Also, yeah. the propaganda thing, that just that kills me. Well, I mean, I guess you could call it propaganda if you want. Uh I mean, there's definitely messaging that's pro LGBTQ, yeah, right? But he means propaganda in the sense of like a regime trying to He definitely to, means it negatively. Yeah. But when when he does it, it's not propaganda, for sure. No, this is not Christian propaganda to make people think that being gay is bad at all. No, no, that that's just the, the difference between propaganda and not propaganda is propaganda is something you don't agree with. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> the other guy does propaganda, not you. Grace says it was encouragement from a spiritual mentor who helped him make peace and share his sexual identity with the faith community. Bishop Kelly said... If you're going to be a peacemaker, you got to be at peace. While some continue to ask, can you be gay and a man of faith? Yes. I don't I don't even I don't even know how to respond to that. Faith is what brought me out. Okay, man. Man. Okay, so before we get into some of those things that he said, let's just clear the deck. He's ordained as a pastor. That's based on man. Scripture is our foundation for the qualifications of a pastor. Let's see if a gay man is qualified to be a pastor. Let's just get it over. Okay, so when when he says that he's not a pastor, he means that he doesn't meet the scriptural qualifications to be a so pastor. He may he may call himself a pastor, but, but if we not. were to run the test, he's going to fail. Okay, fair enough. Let's see the test. First Timothy chapter 3 is the go-to passage for people aspiring to be pastors, elders, overseers, whatever word you want to use. Let's read what it says. This saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer or elder or pastor, he desires a noble task. Therefore, a overseer must be above approach, the husband of one wife. One of the baseline requirements is a husband of one wife. So you you have to be a heterosexual married man. You can't be a gay pastor. That idea is not supported by scripture. Well, it's right there in black and white, husband, one wife, I guess that settles it. So definitely like all of the unmarried pastors though, he's gonna be equally uh, vitriolic towards them because they are not husbands of one wife. Yeah, which is 
interesting because the Catholic Church hasn't had a problem with this at all throughout its entire history. The Catholics? What? Get your your your, your nonsense out of here. Catholics aren't Christian. What kind of craziness are you spouting? Okay. Well, the, the other thing too is he's not putting up videos oh. about all the single pastors out there, right? Jo- yeah, exactly. He's not putting up because they're heterosexual, so it's fine. Because yeah, you know, we're going to focus on the one thing, but let's focus on that one thing. I'm going to pull up. Uh, a different translation, or, or I'm going to pull up the translation that I use, the NRSV, and let's see what it says. All right, so 1 Timothy 3, verses 2 to 3, this is from the NIV, says that now the overseer must be above reproach, faithful to his wife, temperate and self-controlled, and it goes on. If we flip over to the NRSV, it translates faithful to his wife to married only once. And if we look down at the footnote, for it, it says in the Greek, the husband of one wife. So this is the problem with using English to talk about a Greek book and then not considering at all what the original meaning was. Or the context so, of it or right. So what what First Timothy appears to be talking about is that the person needs to be faithful to their wife. Like that they aren't sleeping around, they aren't committing adultery, they didn't get divorced and get married again, That, which is another thing that this guy is not apparently railing about, at least not nearly as hard as harshly. But what it's laying out are those kind of moral uh, guidelines. It's not talking about homosexuality, and we know that because this is written in the first century, and they didn't have a concept of being homosexual in the first century. It just wasn't a thing then. Yeah. The other thing with this passage is it's, spe- it's spe- specifically, 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 specific life. It's, <laughs> it's specifically <laughs> talking about uh, an office within the church structure in the first century, which was overseer, which does not necessarily correlate to pastor or preacher or what we would say in a modern sense. Right. So that's a very you, specific office in that church structure. I mean, you could add your own interpretation to it and use it as a guideline for a person who's in charge, but then you're adding your own interpretation, just like he's adding his own interpretation to it being a a heterosexual person. Yeah. I think the original for the overseer was meant more like Bishop. So somebody who oversaw an area more of a, and it's very well that they could have, they could have been, it needed to be a man because it was a patriarchal society sure. and they may, have wanted that posi- yeah, they may have wanted that for that position to have a wife for whatever reason, but that doesn't mean that that position was limited or they couldn't preach or any of those things. So. Well, the, the point is that the verse is not talking about being gay. Correct. The voice is talking about respecting your marriage vows, which is the thing that a gay person could do. Husband of one wife is the baseline qualification for anyone aspiring to be a pastor. You cannot be a homosexual pastor. It's untenable. It's untenable. And yet he doesn't say you can't be a single pastor either. It's funny because he focuses on the word wife and he's, he's saying, okay, if you have a wife, you can't be gay because, you know, you're a man attracted to a woman, right? He focuses so, okay, you can't be gay and ignores the wife part. The one part is actually like explicitly talking about being married. That's the part he just completely ignores. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, and if you go further on in that, in that path, that verse, it talks about, you know, um, can't be a lover of money, 
Well, there goes the entire televangelist people. They're out the window yeah. as well. So. And I have no idea what this guy's feelings <laughs> yeah. are on those. Yeah. But It's not about this political and politics and things. It's like, have you actually read the Bible? Have you actually read the Bible? Have you actually read the Bible? I mean, I have yeah. several times. <laughs> <laughs> I imagine this guy has as well. Probably. Particularly 1 Corinthians 6. I want to show you something in this passage that is often overlooked that debunks the idea that people are born this way or that this is just how they are and they can never change. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6 verse 9, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And he says this, and such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. In other words, there were people who practiced homosexuality and then they came out of the lifestyle. Paul says, and such were some of you, Corinthians, some of you were adulterers swindlers, revilers, and homosexuals. All right, let's do the same thing, because this time yeah. he actually showed us his translation. He's looking at the ESV. But again, Corinthians not written in, in English, written in Greek. And there was a little footnote right next it, to the word homosexuality. Yeah. So let's see, what, let's see what the other translations have to say. So this is using the NRSV again. The NRSV says... Uh, that it should be translated men who engage in illicit sex. And then if you look at the footnote, it says the meaning of Greek is uncertain. Hmm. So it's not definitive. It's and... not clear what it's talking about. Now, again, it isn't the case that they were talking about people who are homosexual as an identity. Like, because yeah. that it's not that homosexual people didn't exist in the first century. Of course they did. It's that there wasn't this concept of gender and sexual orientation at the time that just wasn't in their, in their lexicon. So yeah. when it, they do have a sexual ethic, just like we have a sexual ethic, but it's a very different thing in a very different context. So if you want to hear more about this, uh, Dan McClellan talks about the sexual ethics of Paul and other, uh, New Testament writings all the time on his channel. So strongly recommend you go look at that. But basically to borrow from him to paraphrase Dan, the sexual ethic at the time was all about maintaining power structures. And so they were far more concerned with who was dominant as opposed to this like, so it wasn't so much that a man was sleeping with a man because it's wrong because it's homosexual. The person being penetrated was not supposed to be penetrated. Like that was taking someone at the top of the social order and bringing them down because being penetrated meant you were lesser. Yeah. If uh, if you want a, a bigger breakdown of this, Bart Ehrman recently had a uh, guest on the Misquoting Jesus podcast named Jeff uh, Syker. And he went into that breakdown and talked about the, the terms for that, uh, the Greek terms, what it meant, and a really good synopsis of, of that concepts. But what it doesn't mean, and they didn't have a concept of, which we keep saying, was homosexual. That right. concept so, didn't exist. Someone who is a homosexual person who is in a committed relationship with another person, that kind of concept wasn't a thing in the first century. And so either way, you have to put your own concept of sexual morality onto the Bible. You can either choose to put your concept of you know, homophobic 
tendencies and say, okay, because it talks about a man sleeping with a man, I'm going to ignore all of the cultural context and take that part that I like and then slap my own cultural context on it. You could do that. Or you could say what it was talking about was uh, righteous behavior, maintaining the social structure. And so I'm going to take that intent out of it, but leave the homophobic part aside. Either way, you're you're negotiating with the text and adding your own interpretation to it. Yeah. And, and it's clear that Paul did not have the concept of a committed homosexual, you know, same-sex relationship at all in mind when he was talking about these acts. He was more so, more than likely talking about male prostitution. Um, right. So. In fact, some other translations do specifically talk about it being male prostitution. Yeah. Which is a whole other thing that I also don't have a problem with, but at, right. at least then he would be talking about the same thing Paul's talking about. But he's not talking about what this guy's talking about. So. Yeah. <laughs> You can't say that you're a gay pastor when Paul says these individuals who were gay are no longer gay because of Jesus Christ, because of the Spirit of God. But you can't say you are gay and you are in relationship with the Spirit of God. Oh, I forgot how he started that whole thing off is he said that this verse was supposed to debunk that people chose to be gay or that they are born gay, that they can't be any other way. Now. It's a little unclear why he would care about that, because if he thinks the Bible's saying it's wrong, then it doesn't matter whether you were born that way, presumably. But I suspect that if it's something you can, that the idea that you are born sinful in such a way would be unpalatable, right? And so it's easier to swallow if this is a conscious choice that is being undertaken on the part of the homosexual person. I, so for the two seconds that I was in the comment section, one of the comments had to talk about it's impossible for them to be gay because that would mean God made a mistake and God doesn't make mistakes. So people can't be born gay. So there you go. Exactly. Now, first of all, this just flies in the face of all research on the topic, right? There's no indication that being gay is a conscious choice that someone makes. It's a so it's not clear exactly what contributes to it. There could be genetic factors. There could be cultural factors. There could be um, combination of both, a combination of factors, you know, but first of all, it doesn't matter. Even if it was a choice, it's not harming anyone. So who cares? But let's test this theory because if it is a choice, if it's something that you can choose, then choose it right now. Just very briefly, just for a second, choose to be gay. Be attracted to men right now you the christian who is the person he's directing these comments at uh choose to be gay now i know that you might say well i'm not going to do that because it's sinful but i think you know you can't you can't choose to be gay i cannot choose to be attracted to men the same way that a gay man cannot choose to be attracted to women that's that's something you do not have control over (laughs) This is this is a very personal topic for me because this is one of the one of the reasons why one of the last steps that I had made on my way out of Christianity was this topic of you know homosexuality being gay and on the one side I went through this real long struggle of I was trying to maintain the biblical view of homosexuality what you perceived as a biblical what view, what right? I per- correct yes what I perceived at that time and what my um, what church leadership and, and elders were telling me. And also, and now there's going to be some Christians like, well, you weren't really a Christian or you know, they're good, whatever. Um, 
but also having a lot of really close friends who were gay. And I was like, how could these people who I love and are some of the most loving people in the world be wrong, be mistakes? Like this, this, what I know to be true, I have it, I experience it versus what you're trying to pass off as being true. It just didn't jive in my mind. I couldn't make it work. No matter how many times I studied the scriptures, no matter how many lexicons I went through to look at different meanings, nothing compared to the actual relationships that I had with these people, which was tangible and real. And that you just couldn't trump it. So you could call me a sinner or reprobate, whatever you want, but. You know. Well, you know who is a big fan of sinners and reprobates? Jesus. Oh, yeah. with him all the time. That was, like, that was like his thing, right? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um, I think I would have liked to have a beer with Jesus at least once, you know. I so probably however <laughs> he was also kind of like a street corner doomsday preacher. Like I don't want to minimize that that was definitely a very important part of his ministry. For sure. sure. <laughs> and so uh, like maybe if we could get some beers in him he'd dial back the doomsday part and like yeah. <laughs> And with Jesus Christ. It's a contradiction of scripture. So there's no excuse for you. He says his 100 plus congregation is focused on nurturing the community from what he calls the COVID coma, fighting discrimination and serving those in poverty together as one. Jesus said, you gotta be one. We have to be one. Oh man, how terrible that his church should be focused on serving the community and presumably helping the poor and needy. But how unchristian of them. Oh my gosh. You know, maybe if this dude Clement spent a fraction of the energy that towards doing what that guy's doing, what the gay pastor is doing, and encouraging his congregation to extend love to those who are in need, to helping those who are less fortunate themselves, maybe Christianity wouldn't be losing the culture war. Ooh, that's a thought experiment. Yeah, but you don't get clicks on YouTube doing that kind of stuff, just so you that's know. true. That's true. T- saying that you should love people isn't a popular message. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> the algorithm just throws that one out. <laughs> yeah, get wrecked, Jesus. Reverend Grace tells me with Intel making Central Ohio its new home base, he hopes to bring even more people into his inclusive congregation who are looking to grow in their faith. You have to be willingly ignorant or absolutely deluded if you think your faith is going to grow in a church like that or any church with an openly gay pastor, your faith is going to corrode. It's going to diminish greatly. And that individual is going to lead people to hell. Wow. So, so is now it the congregants, though, you know? Like, yeah. So like, here's the thing, though. I'm not certain that's true empirically. Like, religion is on the decline in general. But... I don't know that it's the case that the churches that are more hateful and less accepting are thriving better or more likely to survive. Yeah, I think he means, I agree with you there, but I think he means like a spiritual faith, growing in your faith versus yeah. growing your church. That's true. That's true. Because, I, I guess I guess yeah. you might be focusing on dumb things like helping the poor. You know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And shame on the people who ordained this man into the pastorate. It, it boggles my mind that people can affirm such blatant sin. Perhaps maybe they too are guilty of... Maybe they're all gay, Jared. Maybe that's the problem. Maybe they're all Everybody's gay. The gay, gay agenda. You know? <laughs> oh, 
Oh my gosh. This guy. This same sin or similar sins. Paul talked about that in Romans chapter one. In Romans one, Paul says in verse 32, referring to homosexuals and people who approve of them, he says, though they are fully aware of God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve to die, they not only do them themselves, but approve and applaud others who practice them. So he's talking about Romans 1, verse starting in verse 26. He doesn't talk about the rest, which is actually weird. He probably should have, because these verses are way more explicit about the thing he's talking about than the verses he referenced earlier. So I think in context, he's talking about the not so much. He's already made clear that homosexuality is a sin. And he's talking about the people who are um, supporting or going along with it to try to shame the people who ordained this pastor. So, Well, so once again, though, we have to remember the cultural context in which Romans was written, just like the other ones. Mm -hmm. Uh, Paul is railing against what he sees as sexual immorality of his day, but we aren't bound by the sexual ethic of Paul, right? We don't, Paul's sexual ethic does not necessarily apply to today's culture. He was writing to a specific time, specific place, but just more broadly, it just if we step back for a second, which is more important? Is it more important that the right genitals are touching, or is it more important that we're taking care of people? The genitals. Yeah, I guess that was a <laughs> stupid question. I, I don't know. It seems to me, like, yeah. obviously, as a secular person, I could... I don't, I could give two shits what the Bible says. I don't care. So like, I'm not restrained by that, but like, it seems to me that if you're trying to zoom out, um, and, and kind of put the specifics away and focus on what the, the tone that the thrust of the message is of Jesus and his ministry, it was primarily that the end is nigh and you should repent of your sins. But like setting that aside, it was what, what's the greatest commandment? To love God and love your neighbor. Yeah. Those are the two most important things, right? And is pushing people to the fringes of society, telling them that they are wrong for being made the way they are, that they are not worthy of love and, and experiencing a loving relationship with someone that they're attracted to, that is this really the best way to serve them? Empirically, it's not. There's a reason that queer individuals have a much higher suicide rate and it's not because they're racked with guilt over their sins innately it's because of jerks like this that are telling them that they're evil and wrong that they are that there's something broken about them intrinsically yeah this is just another one of those things too which it always kills me how they'll go to specific verses and they'll pick out things that don't say what they think they say first of all but also they'll go back to Old Testament passages to talk about the abominations and all this. But they will ignore the other things. So this guy's got on different cloths right now. He's got on he's got a mixed media shirts. That's a sin in the Old Testament. He's got tattoos. I've seen other he's got, you know, tattoos on his arms. Like that's a sin according that's to That's an some. abomination. Yeah. yeah. So he's ignoring all this other stuff and just focusing on the one thing that makes him feel uncomfortable because he doesn't understand it. Right. You know, it's it's ignorance, but more importantly, it's ignorance that harms other people. Like this is not abstract. This this attitude does demonstrable direct harm to the LGBTQ community. 
All right. So now that gay pastors are out of the way, let's shift the focus from this individual gay person and just like gay people in general. Well, you know, we have to do that because we need to protect our kids. We can't let our kids learn any of this stuff. Yeah. It it's you know what's more important than anything else? Re- ensuring that our kids are ignorant. <laughs> What's going on, guys? So there you have it. Out of the horse's mouth, the LGBTQ are chanting they want our children. Who is the our? Well, they're talking about Christians. They're talking about people who are not LGBTQ. I Come on, man. Like, seriously? That's obviously a taunt and to point out how ridiculous it is, not something they actually want to do. Yes, like, yes. that was definitely a crowd of people that were talking about wanting to, I, I don't even know what he's suggest. like they're going to molest your, I don't even know what he's talking about. What do they mean by that? That's the question. And should we be concerned with this chant? Is it a joke? Are they serious? They're very serious because their community is going to be determined by the next generation. Now that's true. That I agree with that the next generation is going to be pivotal in deciding the direction of our culture and in deciding, more importantly, what role LGBTQ people will play in it. And so, yeah, I I don't think he's wrong. (laughs) No, he's not wrong. But I don't know that in a crowd like this where it's it's a gay pride event that they are making a chant Specifically because they want to take children in and indoctrinate them. No, no, it's not that. This is literally just poking at people like him like to him. say, hey, you are stupid. Yes. <laughs> and don't let them convince you that we're taking their words out of context. Because even if we, let's just say it was a joke. That's a terrible joke. It's not anything to joke about. I thought it was funny. <laughs> yeah, I thought it was funny too. I don't know. But. On the flip side, if it's not a joke, we need to be ready to combat that type of rhetoric. So that went by really quick, but he used the word combat, the type of rhetoric. That's the kind of language that, you know, you could have used something very, we need to be able to refute or we need to be able to debunk or resist. But to use the word combat, that's that slippery slope that we're talking about and how this can lead to actually physically harming another person because they, they don't align with your stochastic terrorism. Yeah. Yeah. Because children, they know more than we give them credit for case in point, this child right here. Now this child was on Jimmy Kimmel, his show. They, they go out into the street, they interview people and asked people random questions. And in this particular show, they went out and asked children what their thoughts were on gay marriage of all things gay marriage now the children surprisingly knew what gay marriage was and for the most part they didn't see anything wrong with gay marriage i don't know why he's surprised that these kids knew about gay marriage because him and his ilk will not shut the fuck up about it (laughs) like yeah i swear to god they like they, they just will not stop banging this drum. So of course they know about it. But thankfully, these kids don't have bigoted parents, and so of course they don't think it's a problem because it's not. Why would because it be a problem? Not, yeah, yeah. This is an aside. He doesn't mention this, but I've heard from some people uh, 
mainly back before gay marriage was legalized was like, how am I supposed to explain to my kids that these, you know, these two men are getting married? Well, it's pretty easy. Hey, uh, you know how mommy and daddy love each other? Steve and Bob love each other like that. Okay. Like, boom. <laughs> that's all there is to it. Which, I mean, this goes to show just how in how deep one's worldview affects their worldview. So the Christian teachings, when he sees these children give these answers, it scares him. Right. When you and I see these children give these answers, we're like, that's awesome. You know, it, that's the way it should be. It scares him because it is a sign that he's losing. He's losing the culture war. And yeah. that's a problem because it's not it's not just about what's right and wrong per se it's about power it's about his segment of society the the christian fundamentalist segment of society not having the same influence that they used to have this child knew that men and men and women and women were homosexual and she and this other kid right here they both agree that anybody should be able to get married and that there's really nothing wrong with gay marriage now if you want to watch this little short little video i'll put the link in the description below but what does that tell us about the future of our world tells us the future's looking up things are <laughs> things are going great future's bright man yeah you mean in the future i can be who i want to be and i can have sex with who i want to have sex with and be in a committed relationship with who i want to be in a committed relationship with oh the That's horror all. oh my gosh <laughs> yeah, yeah. If the younger generation, if they're already essentially desensitized, that means the LGBTQ, they are entrenching themselves that much deeper into culture, into society. They're not desensitized. They have not been told that it's wrong. That it's, that's not them being desensitized. Like, like, like they have this innate feeling that's been beaten down. They haven't been taught bigotry, and so they're not bigoted. Right. Well, in this in this guy's worldview and this kind of worldview, uh, what he means is that the reason we're sending drag queens to libraries to read to children is so we can get them used to drag queens. The reason that we are exposing them to openly gay people is so that we we can get them used to it. So they're being desensitized that it's okay. You know. Well, that is not necessarily wrong because it is a good thing for children to oh, yeah. see people who are not in their own group and realize their shared humanity that's a good thing you know that's that's not a problem it's only a problem if you're a bigot uh on the weekend at the new york city drag march and basically they were that's what they said we're coming for your children and then afterwards, a bunch of prominent um, activists have come out and said, no, 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 don't, don't look at that. It's, we're just joking. And, so, and actually, not only that, some of them sort of have sort of taken on the role of victim. <laughs> this is one of these where you look, it's, they say it's taken out of context, then you look at the actual context, and it's still really yeah. bad. I mean, what, the context, this guy, Brian Griffin, who's the original organiser of the NYC Drag March, says it's all just words. It's all presented to fulfil their worst stereotypes of us. And he himself said he'd chatted obscene things in the past, like, kill, 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 we're coming to kill the mayor. Yeah. How does that make it better? I'm, yeah, I'm yeah. struggling to see this. Hey, guys, and, come on. Yeah, and also, would you even, as a joke, chant in public, we're coming for your kids? I so what they just read was the organiser saying, hey, you've got this terrible stereotype of us and we're making fun of you for it. And <laughs> And what, what what they heard was, this you can't joke about this. this. That's not a joke. No. See, we're allowed to say it. 
we're allowed to tell you and tell everyone right. that you're harming children, that you're predators and that all these things, but you're not allowed to push back on it. This is the kind of rhetoric that the, the group in power always uses against the marginalized in society. Not only if they, they are not allowed to object unless it's in a way that the majority doesn't find objectionable. And here's the thing, they will always find it objectionable. No matter what, I there is no way that this pride march could have happened that these guys would not have a problem with because it's not because the problem is not what they were chanting. The problem is that they exist. So screw them, fuck them. Who cares if they're offended? I don't care. Why should we care? Like if there's nothing that we could possibly do, and I I I'm not a member of the LGBTQ community. So when I say we, I mean like we as in allies included. There's nothing that we or that community could do to gain their acceptance, so fuck them. Why do you think they always have drag queens at libraries reading children books or transgender or drag queens at churches talking about transgenderism and homosexuality, how God loves all people? Why do you think they have children at pride parades? Because they're trying to desensitize, they're trying to normalize this lifestyle. Yeah, yeah, they are. That's exactly what they're trying to do. They're trying to normalize this behavior because it ought to be normal. Yeah, they're pushing back on all of you idiots who keep telling us that it's not normal. So we have to balance it out. And, right. You know. Yeah. If he would shut up about it, we wouldn't need to talk about it. So the children, when they grow up, they're not going to push back. They're not going to find anything wrong with that lifestyle. Why do you think this generation, the younger generation, they're converting to, to lesbianism and, and LGBTQ more than any other demographic in human history? It's, you can convert to lesbianism? No. See, here's the thing. So what he's he's recognizing is that more people identify as LGBTQ now than at any other time in the past. And so what he's inferring from this is all of these people are becoming lesbian or gay or trans or whatever. But that's not the case. What's happening is that they are experiencing less social pressure to stay hidden. It's exactly the same reason why after being left-handed was no longer demonized, suddenly the portion of the population that was left-handed skyrocketed. It wasn't because all of these people suddenly decided using their left hand was cool. It's because they were they suddenly realized, oh hey, if I say I'm left-handed, I'm not gonna like get smacked on the hand anymore. You know? Right. It's yeah. exactly the same thing. I'm gonna convert to left-handedism now. I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, no. no. These people, there were just as many gay and trans and lesbian and et cetera people before. The only difference is they are now more comfortable than they were to be their genuine self. Social media, TikTok, these platforms is pushing this rhetoric and ideology upon our children and they are buying it, believing it hook, lie, and sinker. And now we have the little, little ones already aware of gay marriage. They know what it is and they don't see anything wrong with it. We must teach our kids before they reach our kids. We must tell our kids about Genesis, how God made Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. Oh, our, come up with a better joke. Seriously, come up with I a mean, better I mean, that was line. good in the 90s, you know? <laughs> Jesus yeah. Christ, man. Seriously. So, but what he's saying is we need to indoctrinate our kids before they have a chance to... Yeah. You know, yeah. That's exactly what he's saying is we need to ensure that our children have this fear and disgust towards these this other segment of the population so they won't listen when the rest of culture says that these are human beings who deserve respect. 
Yeah. And what happens when you do that, you end up with somebody like me who is struggling with it in later on in life when they, they're encountering people who are in the LGBTQ community and you have this mental battle going on where you're like, I shouldn't like this person or this person's sinning or, or whatever. And yet it, it's, it's harmful. It has a lot of mental right. harm. Yeah. Or like Joe mentioned in our interview last week, it can cause problems where if you believe that this person is in sin, you may not want to be close to that person because they're going to hell. You know? Right, exactly. And so why would you want to get close to that person when they're just going to be ripped away from you later? There's all kinds of ways. And, and that's that's assuming that you are not part of the demonized group. That's assuming that you yourself are heterosexual. But heaven forbid that you're telling this to your child who is themselves gay. You're telling heaven forbid that your child is oh gay gosh, yeah. or trans or whatever. And you're telling and you probably won't know it first. Uh because they may not know it first, but you're telling them, hey, if you're gay, that's wrong. Something is broken about someone who's gay. They're, being gay is bad. And then the kid finds realizes they are gay. That's going to do incredible harm to that person. I can't even imagine you know, that kind of emotional trauma that that would cause somebody. There is no gay marriage. God instituted the very first marriage. He was the very first officiant of the first wedding. St. Paul describes marriage as therefore a man leaves his father and his mother and clings to his wife and they become one flesh, in which he is mirroring the language of Genesis where God tells man and woman to be fruitful and multiply. Both Aquinas and Paul refer to matrimony as a sacrament, a holy mystery in which one man and one woman are joined together in conjugal union with the potential to be blessed by the grace of God with children, to start a family for the worship of God. Marriage comes from God. It is something that he established and instituted so anyone in a, in a worldly legal sense can technically get married but it is not honored by god if it is not between a man and a woman well uh, so credit where it's due at least he kind of acknowledges that we can have legal marriages aside from his own religious beliefs now i suspect that he does not want that to be the case. I suspect that he would prefer a world where it is illegal to be married if you're gay. That would be my guess. I don't, I, he didn't say that, but that would be my suspicion, right? Yeah. But Also, if you don't like gay marriage, don't get gay married. Nobody's forcing <laughs> him to marry a dude. Like, <laughs> Yeah. Also, this whole thing about God instituting the first marriage. I've read Genesis a couple of times. I don't remember no wedding in the Garden of Eden. So, and first second of all, all, there was there no, was no Garden of Eden. There's yeah. no Garden of Eden. There's no Adam and Eve. They were not yeah. real physical people. Yeah. At best, it's an allegory for the ensoulment of humans. If you want to go William Lane Craig about it or whatever, however, you need to reinterpret Genesis <laughs> so it fits what is demonstrable fact. But there was no Adam and Eve; they didn't exist. And so, if that's your basis, then it's nonsense to begin with. Secondly, okay, what if if it were real, right? And if you had to make only two people, and you don't want you want offspring, then yeah, it's going to have to be a man and a woman because that's how you generate offspring. But newsflash, we're not in a situation of desperate survival where there's only two members of a species left. <laughs> so I, just, I just had an 
I just have the greatest image ever. So God's up in heaven. He's like, oh, I want to make human race. Okay, make Adam and Bob. Why aren't you guys making babies? What's going on? <laughs> ah, d- dang it. You know. <laughs> yeah. We must teach our children that homosexuality, a man and a man, a woman and a woman laying together like a man and a woman lays together is a abomination to God. It is a sin. And that lifestyle will lead you to eternal damnation if you don't repent of that sin. We must teach our children that that is a destructive lifestyle. It is a lifestyle of death. Well, here's the thing, though. It's only destructive in this vague future way that according to his interpretation of his holy book, it will lead to a punishment in a different reality than this one. He can't point to any way it's destructive now because it's not destructive now. Right. And that's the thing. His He says it's wrong, it's evil, it's destructive. Why? Because my interpretation of my book said so. There's no other, there's no reason. There's There's no example he's giving of someone being harmed in any real, actual way. The only harm that's happening is that they're being convinced that they should not hate other people. And so, I don't know. I Even when I was a Christian, I had a real difficulty with this because I didn't get it. I could not understand why it was a problem for two people to love each other. I went along with it because I was convinced that that was what God was telling me, but it made zero sense. Like I would say, me, I don't care what you do as long as you're not hurting anyone. God cares, so I guess it's wrong, but I don't get it. You're you're a better person than God then, I guess. Evidently. We must teach our children that their bodies are unique, special, and they are not meant for sexual sin. Their bodies are holy. They must keep their bodies sanctified until they get married with a opposite sex. We are directly talking about undermining God's plan as he has revealed it to us. We're replacing his authority with our own. If marriage is no longer between one man and one woman, are we open to the idea of polygamy? Yes. I'm open to it. I mean, I'm fine. What do I care? Yeah. I mean, two, obviously, yeah. two 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 people good, three people better, right? More, yeah, right. Look, I mean, I, polygamy was the thing in the Old Testament too, so obviously, it was true. Obviously, it's been fine at some point. Yeah. Look, I don't as long as it's a between consenting adults and they're not harming anyone. Who cares? What business is it of yours if they want to be in a relationship with a second, third, fourth? 10th per- I don't care. It's not your business. Who cares? We disregard the heterosexual aspect, so why not the monogamous aspect too? If love is love, as we keep hearing, who's to say that three men loving each other is not more love than two men loving each other? Well, I'm convinced. Who's to say? Yeah. Who's to say? Exactly. Like, if you said it in a different tone of voice, that's a great argument for polygamy <laughs> being just fine. <laughs> but he did He did have the math there, right? So three men loving each other is more than two men, so that's more love, so that's better. I mean... Yeah. Yeah, it's more right. love. It's- and and if we're like, if the production of offspring is what's important here, since that's something that he's mentioned a couple times, if you have more people banging it out, more offspring, right? I mean, rabbits figured that out a long time ago, yeah. so. <laughs> In Ephesians chapter five, for example, that marriage is not just for procreation and also for sanctification, this righteous outlet for human sexual desires, but it's also for illustration. This beautiful picture of the relationship between Jesus Christ and his bride, the church. Wait, did Bodhi just say that Jesus is fucking us? Did, I think that's what he, he just said. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So 
I guess the the whole narrative of uh, the Jesus that the marriage between man and woman should model that the way that's often used is that Jesus is that Jesus is in charge of the church. And so he should be in men should be in charge of the marriage, which is just a way to enforce patriarchal power structures. Yeah. That's, that's all it is. And they can talk all they want about how women in my church, it was often said, Oh, women are equal. You know, there's that men are supposed to be subservient or whatever, but here's the thing. Dan McClellan said this recently, and I thought it was brilliant. He said, if you have to tell one segment of the population all the time that they're equal, but never have to tell the other one, guess what? They're not. They're not equal, yeah. Right. Nobody has to go tell the men in these churches, oh, you're equal, don't worry. No one has to say that. Why? Because they're obviously not equal. They're obviously in charge, right? Paul will often argue in his debates, we know more about homosexuality now than we did then. Maybe so. But are we really going to suggest that God knew less then than we know now? For either all of scripture is God-breathed or it isn't. Either we believe Christ or we don't. What about the shellfish one? Eat eat shrimp? I mean, was it wrong then or not? Which is it? This is the cherry picking thing. Right. They're they're picking the parts that they like. The parts that it doesn't make him feel icky for someone to eat shrimp. So it's fine. It makes him feel icky for two men to kiss. And so it's wrong. That's all it is. Proverbs 22, 6 says, train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. The context of training up a child is training up a child in the way of the law, the word of God. What God's word says is what we should ascribe to align our will with. That is what we do as as parents. We train up our children according to God's word, according to that beautiful, holy law of God. When I say law, I mean the word of God, the Ten Commandments written on our hearts. When I say law, I mean my interpretation of the law, the Ten Commandments, (laughs) except for the ones I don't like, because like, yeah, Saturday was a Sabbath, but we decided it should be Sunday. And, you know, why not? Like, right. I mean, we know better than God would about which day is we should rest on. So (laughs) it's also interesting that train up a child first. I uh, I think my grandmother cross stitched or something or needle pointed that on a thing. And I had that hanging up in my room and my parents thought that my grandparents thought they were training me up in the way, uh, guess what? I departed. So I departed too. I departed Christianity debunked. Yeah. <laughs> right. That is what we use as a reference to teach our children. What thus saith the Lord, not what the world says. The Bible tells us to not be conformed to the things of this world, but be transformed by God's word. That is how we will teach our children what God's will is for their life. And God's will is holy. It's perfect. It's pleasing. He wants us to present ourselves as a living sacrifice. We can't do that if we are sitting back and letting our children listen to drag queens and listen to people talk about LGBTQ and letting them watch things on TV that just desensitizes their spirit from that abominable sin that is taking over everything and they're coming for our children but don't let it happen so keep your kids in an echo chamber don't ever let them be exposed to anything that's not a biblical worldview and they will be okay right ignorance is key is the important thing if your religious faith is so fragile that it cannot survive exposure to the outside world then it's not going to be long for this world so but so what struck me as I was listening to this is 
we've heard all of this before historically. These exact talking points were used in the more distant past against interracial marriages. Mm-hmm. We were told that we, obviously I wasn't alive at the time, but you know we the human race it wasn't that long ago. But, I mean, people still say it now. So it's not like this yeah. is this has stopped being used. It's just stopped being culturally acceptable. Uh, they've used it's unnatural. You know, God ordained this racial structure. You know, it it's not supposed to be that way. It's contrary to God's will. These these like literally, you could take out the specifically homosexual portions of the rhetoric and just sub in interracial, and you wouldn't have to change anything else. And so, like. I, I don't know who this fellow is married to, uh, but if there are many people who oppose homosexual marriages who are themselves in marriages that just a century ago would have been subject to exactly the same persecution, right? Not yeah. not that people in interracial marriages don't experience discrimination now because- They still do. Uh, they mean, still do. It's a good bet if you're in America and you want to know if something has a ra- is racist, that just go with yes and you'll probably be right. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Unfortunately, yes. Yeah. Well, final thoughts on this guy, Jordan. Um, he's giving me strong um, Alan Parr vibes here, but way more conservative, way more bigoted. <laughs> he's, he's definitely a worse Alan Parr, for sure. Like, Alan Parr is, uh, is very conservative, but he's not nearly as culture war-ish. Like, he's, he's, he's not into the culture war as much. Yeah. Yeah, this yeah. this is the um, religion as a source of power kind of rhetoric. Because what you're not, if you flip through his channel, you're not seeing uh, videos about how we should love our neighbor. You're not seeing videos about how we should take care of the poor, about the the you know epidemics of um, hunger and uh, of debt and things like that that are racking the people. We're not seeing him railing against the kind of social justice. Uh, causes that you would if you were going to be consistently about love. What he cares about, what he's railing against, is the is the changing power structure, the reduction of power of the patriarchy, the uh, of the changing sexual ethic that doesn't align with his personal preferences. That's what matters to him, and he's using the language of his religion in order to enforce his will on the rest of the world, or at least that's what he wants to do. Yeah. I mean, it's just nothing but fear mongering the entire channel. Um, and normally I don't like to bring this kind of stuff to light, but we as the skeptical community and atheist community need to speak up against this kind of bigoted language. Uh, and we need, we need to, to call it out in our own tribe too, because yes, that there's definitely a strong, uh, segment of the atheist community that's hard to alt right, and they're just as homophobic and transphobic as this guy is. Yeah, for different reasons too, which blows my mind. But um, I, I think some of it's still well, ingrained in that system. But yeah, it's the same reason, like yeah. different different rhetoric, different justification, but it's exactly the same reason. It makes them feel icky. They don't understand it. So right. So if if you take nothing else away from this video, rule number one: don't be a dick. Whatever else you're going to do, just follow that rule and you'll be okay. Or, as a first century Jewish rabbi said, Take your kids to a drag show. There you go. That's what, that's what Jesus would do. That's what Jesus would do. <laughs> so you made it to the end of the video, and that means you get a bias. Today's bias is kind of like a class of biases. 
they are implicit biases. And these are distinct from explicit biases. And these are biases that are kind of subconscious under the surface. They may not be biases you're aware of. Obviously, usually if you're aware of a bias, you can address it. But they're even at a deeper level. They can sometimes run counter to your own beliefs. So these are things like a gender bias, where you are biased against women, or uh, racial biases, where you perceive people of a certain race as less intelligent, as uh, you know, more unpalatable, whatever it is. And these yeah. the, these are particularly insidious <laughs> because they, uh, they, they come from a variety of sources. Humans are naturally tribal creatures. And so we tend to view people outside of our tribe as worse or lesser or scary than our own tribe. They can also be informed by our upbringing. So even if you no longer believe these things. If you were raised up in a racist household or you're raised up in a culture that had racist ideals, then they can sneak their way into your subconscious such that you may be, you may have a bias against people who are black or people who are gay or people who are women or whatever, and not even realize it and be like, and be someone who would be disgusted if it were, if you didn't know about it. Right. What's what's even more with this with these implicit biases is that because they're automatic, because they're unintentional, they're under the surface. They're often unexamined. Uh, they're often unexamined, but you also don't realize that they do still impact your judgments and the decisions and your behaviors that you make. Sure. So, um, which is even scarier to realize that you have stuff going on in your brain that is causing you to act or behave in a certain way that you may not want to act. Yeah. Um, so, so there's some great tools for measuring your own implicit bias. We'll put a link in the description for uh, one that you can take, a test that you can take in order to kind of shine a light on your own biases. Now, when you take this test, you're probably going to get results that surprise you. You're probably going to end up on the other side with some biases that you don't like. That your own biases do not determine who you are as a person. It's just something you need to be aware of. So you might take it and realize that you have a bias you're not aware of where you view a minority more negatively. That doesn't mean you are a bad racist person. It means that you have a bias that you need to be conscious and diligent about overcoming. And there's certain steps that you could do. This isn't a permanent fixed thing. You can remove bias. It just takes work. Right. So if you get a result where you're like, wow, that's not me, it is you, and you need to work to fix it if you really feel that way. So, Right. Yeah. So um, thanks for watching the episode. Uh, if you would do us a favor, if you could drop a like, the algorithm really likes that. It'll help spread the channel. I mean, it's a little thing, but it does help a ton. Uh, drop a comment down below. I'm really interested to hear your experiences uh, with these kind of discrimination and uh, it, it's kind, this kind of rhetoric. Uh, I think that these stories need to be told and we, particularly those who are not part of the community, um, need to use our platform and our voice to try to elevate uh, the voices of these marginalized groups. So please do so. Uh, and But while you're doing that, make sure you subscribe so you can hear the, the next episode. And until then, remember, you've always got reason to doubt. Peace out.